Okay, so we uh, got we ended it on this slide last week, and I want to pick up right there, purposeful prophetic human history. And we will be talking about the prophetic message in the slides to come. And uh, I believe we're going to get into the Abrahamic covenant today. All of this is setting a stage for our study of the book of Revelation. The more we know about prophecy, the more we know uh, about the covenants of the Old Testament, the better we will appreciate what Jesus does in his second uh, coming. So the prophets were covenant enforcement mediators. That is a, a major, major description of what the covenant uh, of what the prophets were trying to do for the people of Israel and Judah. They were trying to help the people stay in covenant with God. And of course, the Mosaic covenant provides the stipulations upon which uh, that fellowship could be maintained. So when they saw the people not walking with God according to the Mosaic Covenant, they would call them back. Um, <clears throat> there are a, a number of passages here. I would like us to turn to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. So notice what the prophet says to his people. Notice how he approaches them. Look at chapter 1 and verse 2. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth. Well, why is he talking to them? Because the Lord has spoken, children have I reared. So he's asking heaven and earth to serve as witnesses to what God has done. Children have I reared and brought up but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its own. Okay, now, don't be offended, but he's going to compare people to animals. And he says, the ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people don't understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring, of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. They have utterly estranged. Or they are utterly estranged. Look down at verse uh, 10. <clears throat> Hear the word of the Lord. You rulers, <clears throat> rulers of Sodom. Oh, look out. This guy is really getting after them, isn't he? You rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. <clears throat> what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of all these burnt offerings. And he just goes on and on. Okay, so what's the prophet doing? He's saying, you guys have lost even the perception, the proper perception of being in covenant relationship with God. You're all about yourselves. You're all about this ritual formalism. And it doesn't cut it with a personal God. 
It may work with an impersonal religion, but it doesn't work with a personal God. Okay, let's talk about the prophetic message. Uh, Corrective speech. Prophetic speech, when it is corrective speech, will contain a message people don't want to hear. <laughs> Anybody like being corrected? Not, not too many of us. And, and most of us fancy being corrigible, but we're more likely to be incorrigible. Just ask your mate, and uh, he or she will, will let you know. Um, people are afraid of prophets preaching doom. Of course, prophets also give messages of hope and deliverance, and these will be received not with hostility, hostility, but with wonder or, or disbelief. The majority of prophets, however, indict and render judgments. And ancient people, just like you and me today, do not want to hear either. So there is corrective speech. They talk about covenant disobedience. Behind all the indictments and judgments of the prophets lay a broken Sinai covenant, which required obedience if it was to stay intact. The argument made by the prophets is the following. From Deuteronomy, an Israel in violation of the covenant will be punished. We can go to Deuteronomy 30, 29 and 30. The prophets, Israel has violated the covenant, so Israel will be punished. So they're building right off of the law. The Mosaic Covenant is the basis for the work of the prophets. We could consult Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 27 and 28. Are you familiar with those passages? No? Okay, let's go to Leviticus 26. So these are the passages in the Mosaic Covenant that give the rewards for being properly related to God in covenant, or the consequences for not. Let me begin reading at Leviticus 26 and verse 1. You shall not make idols for yourselves, or erect an image or pillar. You shall not set up a figured stone in your land, or bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in your land. You shall lie down and none shall make you afraid. I will remove harmful beasts from the land and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies. They shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful, and multiply you, and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat 
uh, old store long kept, and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you, be your God. You will be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk around. Okay, those are that's the positive side. Wonderful. Exactly. Well, um, so Israel was in a covenant relationship with the Lord. The suzerain vassal relationship. There, there's a master and, and there is a cooperative servant, a cooperative vassal. And the, the suzerain controls the uh, living conditions of his vassal. So if the vassal maintains the relationship to the suzerain, the suzerain's going to make life very, very nice for the vassal. If the vassal doesn't, let's keep reading. But, verse 14, if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes, if your soul abhors my rules, so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. You shall sow your seed in vain, for the enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be uh, struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. Then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold, for your sins. Do you think he means what he's saying? Yeah. I think he's getting, um, yes, very, very, yes, Fred? I have two questions on this. First, is it an oversimplification to say that this covenant is conditional while the Abrahamic covenant is unconditional? It would be somewhat sim- simplistic, but it would be proper. And the second question is, um, was there ever a time, we do know there are times when uh, the army chased with very few people chased away all their enemies but was there ever truly a time when the people of Israel really kept this covenant during Joshua's lifetime that that comes to my mind any, any other times um, I'll show you a slide in a few moments uh, when there were reiterations um, of the Mosaic Covenant, um, reinstallments of it, if you will, uh, under Hezekiah, Josiah, even under Samuel. There, there were a number of those where people came back into covenant relationship. I think probably Joshua's generation was, that's about the only time that comes to my mind. Anybody else? Yes. Are all the covenants the same? No. No, and great question. Um, The covenants begin with a man, with with Abraham, and talk about his seed and and the relationship between his seed and the other peoples. 
And then we go to the Mosaic Covenant, which is specifically about Abraham's people. And then, and as a people, they are going to be a blessing to others. They will serve as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Then we get to David. And so it's going to narrow to a family. And the line of David will, will now be the line from which the kings come and the Messiah. And that goes back um, to Abraham, goes back to Judah and then back to Abraham. Then we get to the new covenant and um, and God will bring all of the peoples, again, large purview, uh, but he, he deals with all of the peoples through his nation, Israel. So they are distinct. Um, there is a narrowing of focus when we get to the Davidic covenant particularly. There's a widening of focus perhaps when we get to the Mosaic covenant in terms of being a whole people of blessing other peoples. Yes. All right. Excuse me? Yes. Yes. Within the Mosaic context, then... Uh, so, so look at the way this could be summarized. You, Israel, Judah, have broken the covenant. You should repent. Okay? So that's the first line. You've broken it. You need to repent. Okay. Let's take let's take an aside for just a moment. Uh, are you familiar with the song, He? Made popular by the Righteous Brothers, by, I think, the Supremes? Um, some other, there's another group that sang it. Um, he can turn the tide and, and uh, calm the angry sea. He alone decides who writes a symphony um, and so forth and so on. And then the last line of the song, though it makes him sad to see the way we live, he'll always say, I forgive. Now, I'm, I'm thinking, this is such a beautiful song. It's a, it's a wonderfully beautiful song. Um, and I really liked the way the Righteous Brothers sang that song. But I'm thinking, okay, is uh, it, has something been left out of that last line? Does God always say, I forgive? It, it, well, he does, but the consequences. Okay, okay, so, so we need some repentance. And does it just make God sad? No, he gets angry. Okay, he gets really upset. Read Leviticus 26. Read Deuteronomy. Oh, if that's not going to change your mind, I'm going to increase it sevenfold. And if that doesn't change your mind, I'm going to increase it sevenfold. Wow. I think I think God's pretty serious about this. Matt, did you want to say something? Yeah, um, Leviticus 26, 18, where it says a sevenfold, that's kind of a pretext for Daniel when praying. And the, the read by Jeremiah, the 70 years, and, and the angel said, hold on, there's, it's 70 times 7, yeah. 490 years. And at the end of that, he's actually going to remove all that. All that's going to come to a complete end at the destruction of the temple and everything. Thank you. Great observation. So, uh, <clears throat> Though it makes him sad to see the way we live, he'll always say, I forgive. Yeah, if we repent, if we turn from our sin, he'll forgive. If not, uh, <laughs> wasn't, wasn't our pastor teacher interesting today with his um, phraseology? Okay. Maybe we should change it to 
it makes him mad. Yes. <laughs> okay, number two, if you will not repent, the judgment will come. Not only on you, but also on all the nations. If you're not going to repent, if you're not going to listen to me, if you won't come back into covenant, you're going to suffer the consequences of being out of covenant with me. Remember, we made an agreement. I will be your God. You will be my people. As my people, you're going to live this way in honor of me and in honor of my presence among you. If you don't do that, I'll be personally offended. And I'm going to make life tough on you. Now, this is the Mosaic Covenant. This isn't our covenant with God through Christ. Okay? There are conditional elements to our covenant relationship with God through Christ. But it's not quite like this. All right? Point number three. Yet, there is hope beyond the judgment for a glorious future restoration for both Israel and Judah and for the nations. And I know sometimes people will look at this and say, well, okay, So God says you need to repent. If you don't, I'm going to make things really bad on you. But you're going to have a wonderful future anyway. And and people will kind of uh, crunch up their foreheads and say, well, that doesn't make sense. It does because God is going to keep his covenant. And he has divine intentions that he will fulfill. Even if he has to restore a disobedient people to do it. And one of the things he says in Deuteronomy 30 is, even in those places where I drive you out of my presence and you suffer all of these things, even there, if you repent, I'm going to bring you back to the land. Okay, another part of the prophetic message is social injustice. And the Lord was particularly sensitive toward who? Who who were the people? Widows, orphans, and aliens, right? Uh, Sojourners. And he said, you must treat these people righteously or justly. I don't think the Lord was asking to make extra uh, special uh, provisions for them except to treat them justly and fairly. Now, uh, you know, don't harvest to the very corners of your fields. Don't go over your olive tree a second time. You know, let the sojourners, let the widows, let the orphans have those uh, parts of the, uh, the produce censor of other nations so foreign nations had no covenant with Yahweh yet being God of the whole earth he intended that the foreign nations must be punished for every evil that they have done I've referred to Amos but let's take a look at Amos for a moment okay so turn to to Amos Hosea Joel Amos Obadiah Dr. Stephen Bramer loves to teach from the book of Amos. Um, by the way, he had hip surgery a, a week ago, 10 days ago. He's recovering. And, um, he's doing well. 
Okay, Amos 1.1, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, when he saw, or which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Okay, so Amos gives us a, you know, a lot of, of setting material here, okay? We understand who's in power, and the, and he's giving us this prophecy before the earthquake happened. Everybody remembers the earthquake? Well, Amos said these things before the earthquake. The Lord, oh wow, oh wow, you, you just, you almost can't, you, you almost can't sit still when a prophet uh, does what he's supposed to do. And what's the prophet doing? The Lord roars from Zion, wow, utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel when the whole world is is responding to God's powerful voice. The Lord roars. We see this not only in Amos, but other minor prophets. Um, if, if you're tired of, of staid and ho-hum Christianity, read the prophets! Oh, wow, read the prophets! Uh, it's, like, it's like turning your... Your your uh, speaker up full blast. Um, I remember when we lived in Arizona. I really enjoyed the group a cappella. Uh, wow, what harmony! And on occasion, I would just lie down in our living room, and we had a, a big speakers and the the the, the uh, DB. Uh, it was a CD player, I believe, at that time. And I'd crank that thing up, and the whole room would just fill with these voices, these male voices. Wow. Wow. Uh, let God speak powerfully, uh, powerfully to you. Read the prophets. Jesus is great. He's a master teacher. But the prophets were calling the people back into covenant. And they were saying, guys, you've blown it, but there's hope. Just repent. Get back right with God. There's a great future coming. But don't trifle with God. Don't dismiss God. Okay. Now, what we want to see in Amos is how he addresses the nations. So look at verse 3. For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they've threshed Gilead with threshing uh, sledges of iron. So I will send a fire upon the house of Hazael, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. I will break the gate bar of Damascus, and so forth. Look down to verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. What is he doing? He's, he's listing these nations, and he's saying, I have good reason to bring uh, chastisement upon them. They've not only done one thing wrong. They've got three. They've got four. They've got multiple things going on in their societies. Um, they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. I will send fire upon the wall of Gaza. Uh, look down at verse 9. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they delivered up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. 
Verse 11, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Verse 13, for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four. This uh, this prophet has this literary thing going on, doesn't he? For three, in fact, four. What does that mean exactly? Why is he repeating like that? Okay, I think he's saying uh, you guys have sinned in multiple ways. And God is aware of all of those ways. Just putting emphasis on it. Uh, just yes, Pat. It seemed to me like he was just slowly tightening the noose around Israel. Because that, um, very good observation. Because watch where we go. Uh, so we're talking about the Ammonites in, in 13. Look in chapter 2 and verse 1 for three transgressions of Moab. Now turn to 2:4 for three transgressions of Judah. Verse 6 for three transgressions of Israel. So the prophet starts wide and he he brings in the focus to God's own people. Aren't the scriptures wonderful? They're just they're just so powerful, so delightful to read and yet so impactful. Authentic messages. Notice what Lundbaum says says here. Prophets make the charge that other prophets are delivering inauthentic messages, which means that true prophets must deliver authentic messages. An authentic prophetic message must fit the time. So he goes on to say, if the people are obeying the Lord and and giving um, due respect to the Lord, then your message will be different than if the people are disobeying God and need a word of chastisement. The authentic message is one of judgment when judgment is called for. It condemns evil. It announces punishment. It causes insecurity, as bad as all this may seem. But the true prophet is concerned infinitely more with the burning anger of Yahweh inauthentic. Uh, inauthentic prophecy is often without originality or independence. And that's what the story of Micaiah uh, tells us in 1 Kings 22. And we looked at that last week. Prophets correcting us, uh, correctly assessing the historical situation and Yahweh's response to that situation will come forth with a word that's fresh and new. But if the prophets are always saying, hey, you guys are okay. Peace, peace be upon you. It's, it's going to be okay. God, you know, God's a nice God. So don't worry about it. Well, that message doesn't fit the times, does it? Not these times. And probably not their times. Okay. The prophets of the Old Testament were God's ministers of the word during the Mosaic administration. They had seen something of the glory of God and expressed in poetic form the vision of God, his kingdom, the messianic age of shalom, the work of the spirit, the new community of people, and the transformation of creation and humanity. The prophetic message of salvation is rich, embracing the work of the triune God in restoring creation to a state of shalom in which the children of God live by his order 
enjoy his benefits and will no more be oppressed by Satan, enemies, misunderstanding, or physical distress. Are you familiar with 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12? I am. Uh, I've been enamored with the study of angels and the roles that they play. <clears throat> You've heard me talk about the canonical drama. Uh, look here at 1 Peter 1, 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now, what Peter is helping us understand here is that the prophets not only understood God was speaking through them individually when Isaiah spoke or Jeremiah or Micah. Uh, they understood God was speaking through them, but they also were kind of reflecting back and saying, well, wait a minute. Micah's thinking, what I said, um, or excuse me, Isaiah is saying, what I'm saying in long form is what Micah said just a few years before me. And God is, is giving me a similar message to what Micah had. And now I'm reflecting on this, and then maybe Jeremiah reflects on Isaiah, or Ezekiel reflects on Isaiah, or Micah, uh, or Hosea, any of the earlier prophets, and they're thinking, let's see, Isaiah talked about a, a, a son that would, that would be born. Isaiah talked about people streaming to Mount Zion. Isaiah talked about a suffering servant, and they're reflecting on each other's works. They're reflecting on each other's messages. Now watch. Um, they were inquiring. So the prophets who prophesied about this grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Well, who will this Messiah be? When will he come? When will we see him? Your, in your time, Isaiah? No, it didn't happen in Isaiah's time. Your time, Ezekiel? No, Malachi. How about your time? No, not Malachi's time. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Christians, Christians, you're getting the benefit. You're seeing uh, the, the messianic person. And these are things into which angels long to look. Because there's no Messiah for the angels, but there is one for, the, for mankind. Hmm. Hmm. That gives angels pause. It also gives them wonder. Things into which angels long to look. If, if you and I 
um, get ho-hum about our salvation. Just think, think about the angels. They're not ho-hum about it. They're, they're marveling at what is being worked out through this canonical drama uh, to the glory of God and to the salvation of man, but not to angels. Okay, the prophets see future events in their visions just as a common observer would observe the stars, grouping them as they appear to his eyes and not according to their true positions in space. This phenomenon is therefore also called the foreshortening of the prophet's horizon. And since this is comparable to a series of mountain ranges observed at a distance, where the peaks would appear to be close together, when in reality they are valleys in be- uh, there are valleys in between, the perspective of prophecy is further known as the mountain peak view. Okay, so turn to Isaiah. Chapter 60. Excuse me, 61. Isaiah 61. This is a a portion of Isaiah that our Lord quoted. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Lord stopped there with his quote. But let's let's continue reading the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities and devastations of many generations. What is Isaiah seeing here? He's seeing the two comings of Christ in one vision. He's seeing what Jesus did in the incarnation and the first coming, verses one, two, uh, one and two, first part of chapter of uh, verse two, and then he's also seeing what Christ will do in his second coming. So. We, we call this the foreshortening. Or there probably is a better word for it. Um, but look at how this is illustrated. From one view, the mountains look very close together. And as we drive to Colorado, wow, the whole mountain range just opens up in front of us. And we're thinking, this is glorious. It, it's almost like the, the horizon is just filled with, with mountains. But when you drive into the mountains, you find, well, there's a mountain behind us now, a whole mountain range behind us. There are mountains to the south and to the north and to the west. And this thing is a whole lot deeper than what I first saw. Well, that in it, that helps us understand a prophecy. Prophecy, oftentimes the prophet will look forward and he'll see mountain peak after mountain peak after mountain peak. And he'll just talk about all of it 
although there is distance, there is a, a temporal distance for the fulfillment of one mountain peak to the next mountain peak to the next mountain peak. So that what Jesus did in his first incarnation is not the same thing that he will do in his second uh, coming. I would say no, but I would say the restoration of Israel. Okay. Yes, it includes the restoration of Israel. Okay. Okay. Thank you. okay. Um, our time is gone. Let's pray together, shall we? <laughs> Father, thank you for giving us the prophets. Thank you for giving us men who remind us, who discipline us. Um, who call us back to yourself, who rebuke us, and who keep us um, in covenant relationship with you. Help us to have attentive ears. Help us to be corrigible. Lord God, we can be so self-deceived. We think that uh, we're living good and wholesome and wonderfully glorifying lives before you, and, and we have blind spots. Help us to listen to our mates. Help us to listen to our children, to our friends. Um, when by you, uh, they are directed to say something to us that needs to be said. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.